Hi, everyone. This is Marcus Watson, and uh, I'm excited to welcome you to another episode of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Um, today, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, than usual. Well, usually we, we do an interview uh, with someone. Uh, I've had a few episodes where it's just been me talking, and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, with Christmas coming, I thought I would do something that focuses on Christmas, uh, but it's not going to be uh, sort of a typical, you know, talk about uh, the shepherds or Mary and Joseph or, you know, any of the nativity kinds of uh, themes or characters. What I want to do is I want to take a look at a passage of scripture um, that tells us about Jesus. And it does come from the beginning of Jesus' story. It's from Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. If you know anything about uh, the Gospel of Matthew, you may know that that is the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus, you ask? Yes. The part you mean with uh, all the so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so? Yep, that's the part. Uh, I want to I focus on this today because there's just such really good stuff that once you dig in, you're like, oh, wow, this is really important. Matthew is doing something really important here. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, let me give you a quick heads up uh, that... Uh, I'm going to take a two-week break from uh, the podcast, um, so uh, there won't be an episode the next two Mondays, but there will be a new episode uh, in three weeks. So what is that? January 8th, I think, something like that. Um, uh, and we'll come back and have more great interviews with folks and more great information, more great sharing and uh, all kinds of stuff. And so anyway, looking forward to that. But today we're going to talk about Jesus we're going to talk about Christmas. We're going to talk about uh, who Jesus is and what he means for us, what he means for the world. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 17 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Okay, so let's go ahead and just jump right into the genealogy of Jesus. Let me start just by reading it to you. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, 
Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to to the exile in Babylon, uh, the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Okay, there we go. Now, what do we do with that? Well, here's what we do. We start with the first verse. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1, which says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this verse alone could probably preach a whole sermon just on this verse, but it will be just one part of this particular sermon. All right, let's unpack this. All right, it seems like this is just an introductory statement for the genealogy that follows. And it is in some ways. It's kind of the title of the genealogy that follows. Some say that it's actually the title of the entire Gospel of Matthew. And the reason they say that is because the first two words in Greek are these, biblos geneseos, right? Which literally means, right, book, biblos, of geneseos, genesis, now, we translate Geneseos genealogy, but it could also be translated as Genesis. In fact, the very first uh, book of the Bible in the Old Testament, right, the Hebrew scriptures, is the book of Genesis. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis is called Biblos Geneseos. Do you think that's a coincidence? That Matthew calls this the book of Genesis? Uh, do you think it's a coincidence that he uses those same exact words? I don't think so. <laughs> I think he is being very intentional here. Right? In a sense, what I think that Matthew is doing is he's saying, you know, we have a story of, of the creation of the world, right? the first book of Genesis, I'm going to tell you a story about a new creation. God is going to bring new life, new creation into the world, and it's going to come through this Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So now let me focus on the second part of this, where he calls Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why these two particular men. Now, of course, they're very important uh, patriarchs in uh, the story of, uh, of God in the Old Testament. But I think the reason that he includes them is because two of God's greatest promises were made to these two men. Right To David, God promised a son who would be a king forever. This is what it says in First uh, Chronicles 17, verses 10 through 14. Uh, this is God speaking. It says, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go down to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring 
to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Right now, if you know anything about uh, the kings of Israel, you know that the lineage of kings didn't last forever, right? And so you could look back on that and say, well, it seems like what God promised didn't actually come to be. Well, Matthew says, no, actually, that promise is being fulfilled in this Jesus, the son of David. He will be God's king forever. That's David. So to Abraham, God promised something else. God promised a descendant who would be a blessing to everyone. Uh, this is what it says in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right? That's the promise, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your descendants. Right? I will make you into a great nation. Now, uh, again, if you know anything about Israel, you know that they were not always a great blessing to the world, that all peoples on earth were not really blessed through the descendants of Abraham. And so you could look back and say, well, God didn't really fulfill that promise. But Matthew says, no, 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 no. God did fulfill his promise, and he fulfilled it through this Jesus, the son of Abraham. And so I'm going to tell you the story about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right, who fulfills this temporal promise to David, right, uh, that that there would be a king forever, and a spatial promise to Abraham, right, that there would be a king, uh, a savior for everyone, right, and so right from the first verse, right, that's what Matthew is saying. I'm going to tell you about the Messiah, the Anointed One, this Jesus who is the King forever and the Savior for everyone. And then throughout the rest of the genealogy, he draws those realities out. Now, how does he do that? Now, uh, lots of ways, no doubt, but I want to focus on one particular way, and it's it's based on the women that are mentioned in Jesus's genealogy. Now, ancient genealogies uh, didn't really need women in them, right? Because most uh, cultures in the ancient world, maybe all of them, were were patriarchal in nature. Uh, the only time that women were included in an ancient genealogy was when the names of the women either ensured the purity of the line or they enhanced the dignity of the person whose genealogy it was. Right, and so, in order to in, uh, to to prove the purity of Jesus's line and to enhance Jesus's dignity, what Matthew does is he mentions the four great matriarchs of the Jewish faith, right? Sarah, the wife of Abraham; Rebecca, the wife of Isaac; and Leah and Rachel, the two wives of Jacob. Right? Wrong. <laughs> right. That, that is not who Matthew mentions. Right. The the women that Matthew mentions are actually four very different women from these matriarchs of the faith, 
And so let me go ahead and read verses 2 through 6 again, because all the women are actually mentioned in verses 2 through 6, and, and I'm not counting Mary. Mary actually is also a part of the genealogy of Jesus here, but these four uh, that are mentioned in verses 2 through 6 are, are really important, so I want to focus on them. Here's what it says. Let me read it again. Just take note of whenever there's a woman mentioned. So uh, Matthew 1, 2 through 6, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That's the first woman. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Okay, and that's the fourth woman there. So, who are these women? Let's talk about who these women are. Okay, so let me read to you the story of Tamar, right? This is in Genesis chapter 38. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, Judah got a wife for Ur. Ur is Judah's son, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, uh, which is Judah's next son, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother, right? Which is a very kind of cultural thing. It was a way of providing for a widow so that she would have a son who could uh, take care of her in her old age. Sounds very strange to our ears today, but it was a form of social welfare. Um But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. Ew! Yuck! (laughs) This is the Bible? What? What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, right? Not the fact that he was sleeping with his brother's widow, but the fact that that he refused to provide offspring for his brother's widow. So the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, You know what? Go live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. Right? He sort of cast her aside and did not provide for her. She had no way of providing for herself uh, in her old age as she grew older. She thought, I can't wait, right, that long for uh, the the child who is now uh, Judah's son, right, to grow up and, and then marry him. And so it says this, verse 12 now, after a long time, Judah's wife, uh, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira the Adulamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. Judah was not fulfilling his duty as her father-in-law. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, she went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? she asked. "Uh, I'll send you a young goat for my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? She asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. 
So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, Where is the shrine prostitute who is beside the road at Enaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep what she has, or she, we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. Can you say double standard? <laughs> as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. Well, good for him. <laughs> oh man, what a story, right? It's a story about... Uh, a woman who, because of her uh, desperate situation, posed as a prostitute in order to get her father-in-law to sleep with her. Now, did Matthew have to include her, like actually mention her by name in the genealogy of Jesus? No, but he does. Why does he do that? Okay, so that's the first woman that gets mentioned. Then there's Rahab. Uh, Rahab, uh, you may know who that is. This is uh, she's mentioned in Joshua. Uh, she's the one who uh, helped the spies in uh, in uh, as they as the Israelites were moving into Canaan. Let me read to you from Joshua chapter two, verses one through six. It says, "Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land," he said, "especially Jericho." So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and, en and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know who, where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. All right, so Rahab's story is one with some uh, virtue, so to speak. She protected these men, although you also kind of got to wonder, why did these two men go to the house of a prostitute? Right, but she's a prostitute. And Matthew thinks to himself, yeah, I'm going to include her in the, genealogy, in, the, in the genealogy of Jesus. Next woman that gets mentioned is Ruth. Uh, I won't read to you anything um, from the scriptures about Ruth. Uh, she has a whole book of the Bible named after her. Uh, and so you can read that if you want to know about Ruth. But basically, Ruth, uh, the grandmother, great-grandmother of King David, um, was a Moabite, Right. She was a Moabite. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, Israelites were forbidden from having any kind of relations with Moabites. Why? 
because the Moabites are the descendants of Lot, who had committed incest with his daughters. Right, the offspring of that incest is the Moabites, and so the Moabites were despised essentially by the Israelites. And Matthew says, "I'm going to include Ruth, yeah, Ruth, in the genealogy of the Messiah." And then finally, he mentions Uriah's wife, right? And it's almost like he even blushes to name her directly, but we know that that's Bathsheba. Right, Bathsheba is the one who, um, who who slept with David. Right, who committed adultery with David. David saw her bathing, and uh, and he 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 liked what he saw, and so he took her and he slept with her. Right, but Matthew doesn't even call her Bathsheba; he just calls her the wife of Uriah, indicating, by the way, that she is not the lawful wife of David. All right, so these these four women are the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. And these four women include a woman who slept with her father-in-law, a prostitute, a Moabite, and an adulteress. Now, remember, usually in ancient genealogies, you would include women who would enhance the dignity of the person whose genealogy it was. Do these women enhance the dignity of Jesus? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. And not only that, all four of these women were non-Jews. Right? Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab was a Jerichoite. Ruth was a Moabite. And Bathsheba, by marriage to her husband Uriah, was a Hittite. And so it's almost like Matthew is highlighting the ethnic impurity of Jesus' lineage. Um now, let me make a side note here. I don't want anyone to think that Matthew is making any kind of a generalization about women here. Um, right? Matthew is not saying that all women are in some way immoral or imperfect. In fact, in Tamar's and Bathsheba's stories, uh, it's the men who are the villains. Right After her husband died, it was Judah who refused to give Tamar to his son in marriage, which was the law, and essentially forced her into poverty. Right, Judah's the villain. Uh, and Judah even says, she is more righteous than I. And when it comes to Bathsheba, we're told that David took Bathsheba. That's the word that gets used, took, right? which is something that kings did. They took things. And so we don't know if Bathsheba consented or not. Um, she may have consented out of fear. This was the king. I can't resist the king. Uh, but there's a good chance that essentially this was a story of rape, right? That she's the victim. Um, and when you read the story, right, David is the one who is shown to be the sinner, not Bathsheba. Nathan, the prophet, goes and confronts David about his sin. He doesn't go and confront Bathsheba. So, uh, right, what Matthew is doing here is he's he's making a point about Jesus, He's making a point about Jesus. And in a sense, what Matthew is doing is he is already proclaiming the good news about Jesus, right? That this Jesus Christ, the Messiah, this King forever and Savior for everyone brings a mercy that is both deep and wide, right? It is deep because it is for all those who are imperfect, all those who are sinners, and it is wide because it is for all the nations and for all the people. Uh, Matthew could have included the four matriarchs of Jewish history, right? Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. He could have. 
But what he does, in a sense, is he gives us four new matriarchs, right? And all of them, by virtue of who they are and what their stories are, all of them make known the good news of God's deep mercy for sinners and God's wide mercy for all people, for all the nations. And it's almost as though right from the start, right from the beginning of his, his account of the life of Jesus, Matthew wants us to say, oh, oh, this Jesus is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. He is not ashamed of those that some would say they don't belong. In fact, huh, he even highlights them in his family tree. Man, this is good news for us, isn't it? Right, Because we need God's deep and wide mercy. I imagine that almost everyone listening to this podcast, certainly everyone listening to this podcast is a sinner. And many of us are Gentiles, <laughs> right? Thank goodness we have a, a Savior that is for everyone, Right? and a king that is forever. Right? And so finally, we know now right, where this mercy and this grace is found. It's found in the forever king and the forever one savior, and, and we know now that his name is Jesus. Um, Elisa Morgan, who's the founder of MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers International, uh, she said this. She said, God, who sees us in our worst moments, does not measure us by them. Man, isn't that a great quote? I mean, that's that's the gospel right there, isn't it, in a nutshell? God, who sees us in our worst moments, does not measure us by them. That is good news. I am so glad that God does not measure me by my worst moments. When God looks at me, just like he looked at Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. God did not measure them by their worst moments. God measured them by the dignity that they had inherently as children of God created in the image of God. Every one of those women. These women that throughout history had been looked back on and said, oh, these are women of ill repute. But Jesus said, no, these are my grandmothers. Right? I I am of them, and they belong to me. Ah, oh, that is good, good news. Right? This is why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus is the kind of person who makes God's mercy and grace available to everyone throughout all time. He is the for, uh, forever king and for everyone's Savior. And so as you celebrate Christmas uh, this year, uh, my hope for you and my prayer for you is that you would remember that. Uh, this is not just a sweet little story of a baby in a manger. This is the story of God incarnate making his mercy and grace available to everyone forever. Merry Christmas. And I will see you in a few weeks here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.